Hello and welcome back on Andreas Medical Podcast Show. Today we have another exciting topic. We are going to be doing the mental state examination and its purpose in psychological medicine. It will be a little bit similar to the 4P formulation. Hence, I thought it would be good to do this topic too as they go hand in hand with each other. Let's start with the introduction. The mental state examination, or known as the MSE, is a tool used in psychology, psychiatry, psychological medicine, or whenever it is deemed necessary and useful. It is quick, easy to use, and is a structured method to describe, assess, and observe your patient's psychological functioning and mental state. At the end of the MSE, you should have a relatively detailed description of key aspects of your patient's mental state, which should be written in a concise and paragraph-like manner. It should be mentioned that an MSC should be made every time the patient comes and see the consultant or clinician. This is particularly useful as a history of MSC can then be made and compared to one another. By doing so, we can notice if things are improving or declining as a whole or in each segment of the MSE. The MSE works hand in hand with the 4P factor model formulation. Hence, if you do both, you will get a clear picture of your patient's past and current life. This would allow the clinician to make a sound diagnosis, follow-ups, formulations, and patient management for recovery. This includes the best course of action, such as which therapy is needed, if medication needs to be started, if there's a need for referral to a certain support group or a specialist, and so on. In a way, the MSC is the physical examination of the mind and is very useful. Be sure to study and practice for a seamless and successful consultation. The MSC utilizes the aseptic technique and method. So how do we use the aseptic technique? The mental state examination is organized and structured by using the aseptic acronym. By using the acronym, you know that you are covering all the most important aspects in an orderly and systematic fashion. There's a lot to remember and it will get easier over time as you will be practicing more often. I have added as much as I could in terms of description in each segment. You don't have to remember them all, but do understand the general idea per section and bear in mind to do the MSC every time you see your patient. Note, make a mental note of your patient's age and development level or if they have any syndromes that affect their cognition and intelligence. If there is anything on suicidal or homicidal ideation in children or adolescents, they must be referred immediately for their safety. So let us start with the aseptic acronym. A would stand for appearance and behavior. How does the patient look? Observe the patient's behavior, such as the general appearance, ethnicity, gender, age, BMI prediction, any syndrome present. Note what the patient is doing during the examination. Look at nonverbal communication. Look for cues of lifestyle, daily living skills, quality of self-care, clothing and hairstyle. If he is a male, how is he shaved? If she's a female, how is the makeup? Is he or she groomed or disheveled? How's their hygiene and cleanliness? Gait, posture, general body habitus, any abnormal movement must be noticed and written down. Psychomotor activity, so this relates to the mental activity. Is it normal, reduced, or excessive? Attitude towards the examiner, are they submissive or withdrawn? Cooperative or evasive? Over-familiar or seductive? 
defiant, hostile, eager to please? Are they fearful? Look at their facial expression and body language. Eye contact. Is it good, bad, avoidant, piercing, unblinking? There's actually a really good example in the movies. Have you ever seen Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who was played by Anthony Hopkins, in The Silence of the Lambs? Recall the first time the movie introduces him when he is standing in his cell. What was your first impression? Notice how he almost never blinks during the conversation. He also gives this weird off-putting vibe due to his body language. Why and how is that? Our next one is S. S stands for speech. And in the speech, you need to look for the rate, tone, volume, and quality. How is the patient speaking is the main idea you need to get. The rate, the speed, is it rapid, pressured, slow, mute, interruptible? The tone, is it monotone sing-song-like? Low to high, shaking or quivering tone. Volume, is it loud, yelling, quiet, whispering or inaudible? Quantity, is it monosyllabic or verbose? Minimal or too excessive? Is it repetitive? Quality, is it clear pronunciation or slurred? What about the articulation? In other, you have accents. Or do they only respond to questions or provide heaps of information? Note. Notice if any disease would affect speech, such as dementia, trauma, cancer, muscle weakness, brain injuries, speech disorder, degenerative diseases, hearing loss, autism, and so on. It would be slightly embarrassing if the reason for a change in the patient's speech was due to another disorder other than psychological. E. E stands for emotion, mood and affect. How would the patient describe their predominant emotion over days and weeks? Observe the current emotional state. Mood and affect are both involved with emotions, but they are different from one another. Mood describes the emotion of the patient over a period of time, whereas affect describes the immediate expression of a certain emotion that you observe during the consultation. Mood causes a person to see the world differently. For example, think of someone who is depressed for a long time, as he or she may see the world gloomy, sad, and maybe with a bit of pessimism. Mood. You have to question your patients about the feelings they have had lately and get an insight into the emotional history. How have you been lately? How are you currently feeling? How is your mood? Over the past days or weeks, have you been feeling depressed, elevated, anxious, or apathetic? Mood state may be euthymic, or dysthymic, down, depressed, or hypothymic, high, elevated, angry, or irritable, anxious, or apathetic. Using a scale from 0 to 10 may be appropriate to gauge the mood of a patient where 0 is extremely sad with possible wanting to end their life to 10 which is extremely happy. Effect. The overall emotional tone must be objectively observed during the consultation and always compare if the emotion is appropriate to the situation. For example, they may be laughing which is normal but if they were laughing hysterically about a family member or a pet being dead then the situation may not be so normal. Reactive, appropriate to the context, or no abnormality found. Quality, is it a euthymic, elevated, depressed? Range, is it full, such as normal, or constricted, restricted to broad? 
Stability and fluctuation, is it fixed or labile, such as easily altered? Intensity, is it normal, flat, dampened or intense? Appropriateness or congruency, does it match the mood? Is the mood appropriate to the situation, i.e. the patient's family member has passed away and they feel sad? Incongruent would be a patient mood does not match the situation. P. P stands for perception. Is the patient interpretation of their surroundings misinterpreted, such as we have illusions, a distortion of perception, or hallucinations, or factory visual auditory distortions, or altered body experience, such as depersonalization or derealization? A hallucination is when the patient perceives and believes something is real, even though there was no external stimulation. For example, hearing something, but there was no sound present. An illusion is when a person mistakes or misinterprets a perception, such as a chair full of clothes at night may look like a person is sitting on it. In other words, mistaking one object for another. Note: The most common hallucination is auditory such as hearing voices, especially in schizophrenia. Hence, during the consultation, there needs to be an assessment of the quality of the voices. For example, if the patient can control the voices, if it is internal or external, if the voices are commenting on everything or gives order to do a certain act, which is very important. If the patient is aware that the voices are real or not, such as are they aware that they are hallucinating and understand it's not real, this is, can be named as pseudo-hallucination. Question to ask could be, are you hearing, seeing, smelling and tasting things that others can't see, smell, hear or taste? Have you seen, smelled, heard or tasted anything that is not really there? At the time, did you think this was real? Currently, do you still think it was real? Do you ever feel what is around you is not real? Do you feel you are not real? T. T stands for thoughts. In thoughts you have form, content and position. So, what is the patient thinking about? Observe their logical thinking. Thought form represents how someone is expressing their thoughts in their speech, such as their speed, their flow of ideas and if their thoughts are disjointed, illogical or repetitive. In other words, it describes the rate of thoughts, how they flow and how they are connected with one another. Thought content relates to the actual thought being described or the theme that occupies their thoughts. Thought possession involves a patient experiencing their thought being removed, implanted or heard from other people. This is generally hand in hand with paranoia and conspiracy theories about the government. Thought form. You have to look at speed. Is it slowed, accelerating, or racing? You can also look at the flow. Thought blocking. Is it interrupted thoughts? Is it a flight of ideas, such as quickly moving from one idea to another? Is it word salad thought, which is random words being spoken? Is it preservation, which means repetitive phrase, words, or ideas? Or maybe circumstantial thoughts, which means eventually it gets to the point after an unnecessary amount of detail. Is the thought tangent-like, such as moving from one thought to another, where they are related but they don't get to the point? Or is it loose thinking, such as illogical relation of thoughts between unrelated topic? 
A normal flow would be logical, linear, goal-orientated. Abnormal flow would be disordered, circumstantial, tangential, incoherent, or derailment, looseness of associations, and so on. Thought content. Thought content contains delusion. Is it grandiose, somatic, bizarre, or paranoia? It involves suicide ideation, homicidal ideation. It involves obsession, such as the patient is obsessed with an idea and cannot get it out of the head. It involves overvalued ideas. So that can be described in patients with anorexia nervosa, where they have to lose weight or count every food item that has been eaten. It also involves phobias. Is it irrational fear of something? And magical thinking. Thought possession. Now, thought possession involves thought insertion. That means the patient believes a thought that have been inserted into their heads. There's also thought withdrawal. The patient believes thoughts have been extracted from their heads. And finally, thought broadcasting. The patient believes thoughts are being heard from other people. So questions that can be asked are, do you feel people can hear what you're thinking? Do you think people have put ideas in your head? Do you feel people are removing or erasing memories from your mind? The next letter is I, which stands for insight and judgment. How aware is the patient about the condition and situation? This is actually very important. Insight is about how aware the patient is about the illness, the situation they are in, and do they understand it? It is also about the acceptance of their problem and if they accept the needed help or treatment. Does the patient want help or do they know what is the cause of their problem? Or do they recognize what they are experiencing is abnormal? Judgment is about their problem solving and be able to respond correctly and rationally to a situation. It is also about making proper decisions and anticipates the consequences of their behavior. Let us talk about insight. Assuming the patient has difficulties or illnesses, how do they perceive this and how do they acknowledge it? Is it good or intact insight, such as the patient is understanding what is happening, accepts it and seeks treatment to get better? The patient understands all the factors that have led to this situation and wants to have a healthier outcome. This is the best. Partial insight. The patient understands there is a problem and acknowledges it, but decides not to seek help or treatment. Poor insight. The patient does not acknowledge they are ill, does not accept the situation, may shift the blame on others to why this is happening, and does not want to seek help or treatment. They may blame external locus and that everything is happening because it is out of their control. Judgment. Present a case and see the approach to the situation. For example, if you smell smoke in the house, what is your next course of action? Can the patient make a reasonable decision? Is it intact, fair, or is it an impaired judgment? And finally, the last letter of aseptic is C, which stands for cognition. Is the patient orientated? Test their memory and observe their attention. So cognition is the ability to process information and memory, short and long term. Is the patient able to demonstrate good problem solving and reasoning? Do they know the place and time? And is the patient alert and orientated? The level of consciousness, so there is alert, lethargy, stuporous or confused. Orientation in three different areas. You need to get the name, the time and place. If they can, then the patient is therefore orientated. 
attention? Is it good or poor? How well can they focus? Do they need redirection or repetition? Memory. Immediate, short and long-term recollection and how well can they remember? Intelligence. Based on your observation, does the patient appear to be below average, average or above average? Mini mental state examination, which is the MMSE, can be used to see if there's any cognitive impairment. Now, with cognitive, you need to be aware that if there's any sort of syndromes that affects cognition and intelligence or problem solving. Another important factor is the early onsets of dementia or undiagnosed dementia. And also be mindful of the normal process of memory loss as a person ages. What to do before and after the aseptic technique? Before. You need to introduce yourself. You state your name, position, ask for patient's preferred name. You wash your hands. Explain what the MSE and obtain consent. Any questions from the patient? You need to ask them, do you have any questions so that they can express if they have any worries or would like to get some clarification about the MSE. After the MSE, you need to thank your patient, conclude and summarize your findings, ask if the patient have any more questions, wash your hands and say thank you and goodbye. Now on my website, which is andreasastia.com, I wrote a case study with John Doe. In this case study, I tried to apply everything you would find in every single area of the aseptic technique. It is a useful exercise and a way to practice and see how the MSE is done uh, to see if you have successfully managed to write something that's concise and that flows logically and managed to get all the information to put in the right area of the aseptic acronym. Some things to be mindful of. When you're doing this for the first time, just remember the title and try in figuring out which description will go into which segment. Did you manage to fill all the segment correctly? Was there any overlapping description that you felt should go into more than one segment? As you practice more often, you will start to learn more about each segment and the description. So in conclusion, Remember the aseptic is a structured formula to create a quick and thorough detail of your patient's mental state. It should be intuitive and flow logically. As I mentioned before, the MSC should be done every time you see your patient so that you can compare any progress, whether positive or negative. That is not to say the MSC has to be very detailed when the patient is coming for a sore throat. However, during a consultation, you can always be aware of the basics and make some notes. For example, how is the appearance of the patient? His or her speech? Did he or she seem orientated? Were his or her thoughts flowing logically? How is he or she feeling? Unless the patient is coming in for a psychological consultation, then the MSC can be a lot more detailed and thorough as you can use extra tests such as the mini mental state examination. Now utilize the 4P factor model formulation to get an even better outlook on your patient's life as it describes what happens previously, what is happening now, what is recurring, and if the patient has any protective factor. At the end of the mental state examination, the clinician would be able to make a sound diagnosis, suggest follow-ups if needed, prepare sound formulations and or patient management for a successful recovery. This would include the base course of action such as which therapy is needed, if medication needs to be started, and if there is a need for referral to a certain group or specialist 
and so on. Thank you for listening for another podcast. Enjoy your day and stay healthy.